this sermon, A Farewell to Remember, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, October 30th, 2022 at Sovereign Grace Church. Well, if you would open your Bibles to Acts 20, if you're visiting with us this morning, we are grateful that you are here. My name is Derek Overstreet. I have the privilege of being one of three pastors, uh, both Tim and Tom. I get to serve alongside of amazing men who are amazing gifts in my life. Um, This morning I have the privilege of preaching God's word. So we're going to be looking at chapter 20, verses 13 through 38. So if you will stand with me. Let's read God's word together. Luke continues to speak of the gospel mission and the Spirit's work as the church is built in the first century. Verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail to Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Are we okay back there? How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count, account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own cells will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Maybe seated. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. And only your spirit has the power to cause it to bear fruit in our hearts. So, even as I ask you to fill me freshly with your spirit for the task of Christ-exalting preaching. We acknowledge up front that we are wholly dependent on your spirit if we are to leave here changed in any way. So do your work in us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as a pastor, there are a number of things that I think about concerns that I have, concerns that I have about the church today, things like the endangered state of our complementarian convictions, critical theory becoming, if it hasn't already, another gospel in so many churches, capitulating to the sexual and gender revolution. The erosion of confidence in Scripture, which indeed is the root of all the concerns, ultimately. And this one, the diminishing view of the biblical relationship between the pastor and church member. God's design for his church in the relationship between the pastor and the church member. What I, what I mean by that is that on the one hand, on the one hand, church members, I, I'm concerned church members have a diminishing view of God's design for the pastors, their pastor's role in their life. On the other hand, I mean the pastor's diminishing view of how precious God's people are to him, and what that reality necessarily means for the pastor. This morning, our focus is going to be on the latter, (laughs) on the pastor's diminishing view of how precious God's people are to him. But before you just 
take the seatbelt off and sit back, (laughs) uh, this text is for you as well. Because really, a text that is clearly, Paul is clearly speaking to pastors here. It's a charge to pastors. While that is true, that charge has implications for every church member. And so at some point, we will get to that as well. Now, just to bring you up to speed, uh, we heard an outstanding sermon last week. Uh, I was just convicted and reminded uh, this week about, Lord, make me spiritually awake. But now our, our passage finds, in verse 13, our passage finds Paul now making his way back to Jerusalem. This missionary journey, this third missionary journey is coming to an end, that really Luke gives us what, what amounts to an itinerary in verses 12 through 15. He, he reveals, if, if you know these towns and these ports on the map, well, the, he, he talks about a five-day trip down the west coast of what you would know as modern-day Turkey. And Paul travels by land, and he travels by sea from Troas to Miletus. His goal, of course, we saw in verse 16. He wants to get back to Jerusalem, if possible, by Pentecost, which, by the way, is another 600 miles by plane, which Paul didn't have the luxury of, obviously. And I thought about our text this morning and just how between the exhausting travel and the excitement to get back to Jerusalem to be there for Pentecost, all that meant, the friends he would see. It's safe to say that Paul was eager to get home. And so really, really that helps us understand that verses 13 through 16 are more than simply traveling details. They set us up. They set us up for what Paul is going to do in verses 17 through 38 by reminding us by reminding us that nothing could keep Paul away from getting some time with the pastors in Ephesus. The, 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 the weariness and the exhaustion and the eagerness to get home represented in verses 12 through 16, well, it just heightens what we see in verses 17 through 38. The church in Ephesus, by the way, it was dear to Paul. He spent over two years there, probably closer to three years, the longest time that he spent in any city preaching the gospel, building the church, building friends and intimate relationships. And so so just as we read in this text, Paul knows that this would be the last time that he sees them. And so he has this personal burden. He has this personal burden to minister to the pastors in Ephesus. And there was no jet lag. There was no eagerness to get back to Jerusalem. There was an al- a road long enough that awaited him to get in the way of him encouraging his, his friends and co-laborers in Christ. And so as we see in verse 17, Paul sends for the elders in Ephesus to come to him in Miletus. By the way, which is probably about a 35-mile trip uh, in and of itself. And when they arrive, Paul gives them a farewell to remember. And it's in these verses, it's in this farewell that we're going to look at 
and draw two things. First of all, Paul is going to testify to God's grace in his ministry. He's not going to brag. He's going to testify to the grace and power of God in his ministry. And then he's going to charge them in their own God-given ministry. And so that, those are our points this morning. So let's look at the, at the first point. He testifies to God's grace in his ministry. Notice verse 19, what Paul, uh, or excuse me, notice uh, um, in the second part of verse 18. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. And then in verse 19, he says this, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials. The first thing that Paul says about his ministry is that I served you humbly. That's the first thing Paul mentions about his ministry. I went about my ministry with a humble heart. Now let's, you know, let's face it, it's always a bit suspicious, isn't it? <laughs> when a guy says, yeah, I, I've been humble, <laughs> right? A little red flag goes up. We're always a bit suspicious when somebody uh, talks about how humble they are or how humble they have been. It, it sounds a bit proud, doesn't it? But we just have to remember, um, what is humility? <laughs> Humility is, is not a self-deprecating attitude. Humility is forgetting about self. Humility is, is putting others before self. And that's what Paul did in his ministry. Even, verse, even through what he says there, even through tears and trials, he says in verse 19... Um, if you're wondering how the new pastor, Tom Wilkins, is doing, I think that I can speak for Tim when I say he's doing a great job. I think you can speak for that because many of you have already been on the receiving end of his ministry. But here's what I want you to know about Tom. Tom is a humble pastor. Tom is a man who is giving himself away. I am learning as I watch Tom, as I talk with Tom about what it means to be a humble pastor. Well, Paul was a humble pastor. His ministry wasn't about him. It wasn't about his preaching skills. It wasn't about his leadership gifting. It wasn't about his church planting abilities. Paul's ministry had nothing to do with his convenience. Verse 9, through tears and through trials. Even with all the plots of the Jews, he says. Paul, Paul didn't, didn't regard his personal convenience when it came to ministering to the church and beyond. It wasn't about him. Paul, Paul didn't brand his ministry with his name and his glamour shot. That's not what Paul was about. In fact, look ahead to verse 24 because I think verse 24 sums up Paul's 
humility in ministry. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul served in humility. He served in a way that, di- that didn't cause people to say what a great pastor Paul is, rather what a great savior Paul serves. So that's the first thing Paul says about his ministry. He says, I, I went about it with a humble Heart. Second, he says, I preach diligently to you. Notice verse 20. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's, one way Paul's humility was demonstrated was in his unwavering, unapologetic commitment to preach God's Word, And he preached it to everyone that he could. In verse 20, he says, I preached publicly. I was in the town square. He says, I preached privately from house to house. In other words, Paul didn't limit himself to big crowds. It didn't matter how many people were there. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. He says that he preached to Jews and Greeks. So it didn't matter where Paul was or who you were, Paul wanted to tell you about Jesus. He wanted to preach the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. I've talked to young men before who have wondered about a calling and they just want to preach. And so one of the things I've learned to do is say, hey, would you be willing to go over to Grace Kids and teach one Sunday? I've been turned down more than once. Ah, children's ministry, that's not, no. That's not my thing. I have a feeling Paul would jump at the chance to go over there right now and share the gospel with that dozen young ones over there, and he would love it. And notice when Paul preached, he preached the word. He didn't preach his testimony. He didn't preach his stories. Certainly those weren't absent. But what characterized his preaching was the word of God. Verse 21, again, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith, conversion in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look down in verse 26. He says, therefore I testify to this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Why? Why would Paul say that? What needs to happen to make him innocent of the blood of these men? He says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul loved to preach, and he preached the word of God. He preached it pointedly. He preached it comprehensively, the entire counsel of God's word. He preached Christ He preached Christ to everyone and anyone whenever he could. So he says, listen, I I ministered humbly. I preached diligently. And then finally he says, I sacrificed 
continually. Notice verse 22. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And then we've already read this, but let's read it again. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. Look down at verse 31 with me. He says, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And again in verse 34, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus is more blessed to give than to receive. Do you, do you get the, the thing that comes out of those verses? Paul spent himself for the sake of Christ. Whether it was his personal safety in verses 22 through 24, or it was his practical needs in verse 34. Paul let nothing stand in the way of what God was calling him to do. He was unselfish, not wanting to be a burden to anyone, but to everyone a means of grace. Paul actually says something very similar to a young preacher. Timothy, in 2 Timothy 4, he says, for I am already being, listen to this, poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The the Old Testament imagery here is brilliant. In Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, if you read those books, you, you come across this offering. It's called a drink offering, oftentimes followed up by, by the sacrifice of a bull or a goat or a lamb, and they would pour wine over the altar. So Paul uses this imagery of, of being poured out, of being emptied out. That's how Paul looked back on his life and his ministry in the final seasons. He didn't identify as a celebrity influencer, but a servant leader for the sake of Christ and for the salvation of sinners. He gave himself to being poured out, to being spent, to being used up for the sake of others, and ultimately, Christ. Now, Paul's example here, and that's what it is. Do you remember what we read in verse 35? He says, in all things I have shown you. Paul is humbly, in a Christ-exalting way, pointing these pastors, these leaders in Ephesus to his example in ministry. So if anyone right now is listening and taking these words to heart, it should be us, guys. 
should be us. This is for us before anybody else in this room. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But I don't want us to miss something here. There is a secondary sense that this is for all of us. Whatever your ministry to your church, whatever your ministry in your church is, it's not for you. You might not be preaching. You might not have, a, a, you might not hold a place of spiritual authority within the church. You might not be part of the governing process. But the Lord has gifted each one of us and wants to position every one of us to have a ministry in the local church. And whatever that is, from cleaning the church to preaching on Sundays, it's for him. It's not for our pleasure. It's not for our sense of worth. It's not for our personal validation. It's not for us, wherever, however, and whoever you serve. It's from God, it's for God, and it's to God. And so while the three of us need to pay close attention to Paul's words. All of us need to embrace them to say, Spirit of God, help me make how you are using me in the church to be about you. Help me to be humble as I serve. Help me to keep Christ at the center of my misery. Help me to be willing to sacrifice. So Paul says, hey, listen, guys, here's how I have served you, lo, these many years. And then he takes the focus off of him. And this is where the pastors in the room, I'm sure somebody leaned over and said, buckle up. (laughs) And buckle up indeed. Because what Paul does next is he charges them in their God. He pointed to the grace of God in his ministry, and now he says, I have a charge for you in your God-given ministry. Look at verse 28. And listen, I just want to say this right up front. Oh, how I wish I was tempted to come back and just preach 28 through 31. I wish I could just spend an entire sermon on these verses. But such as it is, we are preaching through the book of Acts. And these, these three verses are just a part of this bigger meeting that's going on. But notice what he says in verse 28. Turning now to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Before we get into this, I just, I just want to reinforce a conviction that we have. Notice in the middle of this charge to the elders, Paul now refers to the same group of men as what? Overseers. It's a reminder that there is not a higher order in the clergy. The idea that the idea of a separate elder board that governs and keeps a pastoral team in line, and the pastors they preach and shepherd in submission to the elders is not found in scripture. What we see in scripture is that pastors are elders. Elders are pastors, and as we see here, these men that Paul has been referring to as elders, he refers to now as overseers. Same qualifications, equal authority, three interchangeable terms, one office. And that's why here's Sovereign Grace, and throughout Sovereign Grace churches, our pastors are our elders, and our elders are our pastors. We make no distinction because, at least not yet, we haven't found where Scripture makes that distinction. So, that, with that little sidebar on polity, let's look at Paul's pastoral charge to the elders here in Ephesus. Notice the first thing he says. This is really a two-part charge. He says in verse 28, pay careful attention. He doesn't start with the church. He says, to yourself. I throw you. A pastor is a shepherd, an elder, an overseer. Uh, you would think, hey, you know. No, he doesn't go right into pay careful attention to the church. He says, pay careful attention to yourself. These words certainly remind us how important self examination is for the sake of perseverance in every Christian's life. But again, Paul's pointed words here are for pastors. Paul looks these men in the eyes and he says, your God-given role doesn't begin with those you're called to pastor. It begins with you. Keep your lives upright. Keep your lives centered on the gospel. Keep your lives rooted in the word of God. Pay careful attention to your own life. Don't get so busy with the lives of those you have the privilege and responsibility to shepherd that your life goes unchecked. Pay close attention. In other words, before a man is a pastor, he's a sheep. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. Before Tim and Tom and Derek are pastors, we're sheep. We're sinners. We're sinners in need of not only saving grace, thank God we've received that, we're sinners in need of sanctifying grace. We struggle, we fight the temptations of the world, we fight against the, the, the powers of Satan. We have 
indwelling sin that we fight. Nobody, there is no such thing as a super Christian, and there is no such thing as a perfect pastor. In that regard, everybody in this room is on level ground. (laughs) Before a man is a pastor, he's a sheep. And that reality necessarily means that pastoring begins with the pastor. It doesn't begin with books. It doesn't begin with this pulpit and preaching. It doesn't begin with you, the flock. The beginning of every pastor's job description is this. Pay careful attention to yourself. And there's a big reason for that. Already mentioned, one, we're sheep. Two, a pastor's life has a unique impact on the church. Paul once explained this to a young pastor again named Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Do you realize the context of that charge was false teachings? Wolves coming in. Paul could have laid forth a number of things. Timothy, now you got to make sure there is there, you got to make sure you stop that book from circulating. You got to make sure you silence that person who's denying the resurrection. It's killing you guys. No, to this young pastor who found himself in a bit of a whirlwind, Paul says, keep close watch on yourself and your doctrine. And the gospel. He says, persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, don't get tripped up on that. God alone saves. We know that. So Paul's words here are very pointed. He's not saying that the pastor has the power to save anyone. He's saying that a pastor's life can either be a hindrance or a means of grace for a believer's perseverance in the faith. I I, I just had to read this to you. Uh, Richard Baxter in an outstanding book called The Reformed Pastor, he he wrote, he, he, he talked about what this means. He talked about why it's so important for a pastor to watch his life. He says, take heed to yourselves, lest your example contradict your doctrine, unless you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind as may be the occasion of their ruin, lest you unsay with your lives what you say with your tongues and be the greatest hinderers of the success of your own labors. Listen, guys, just let that and be the greatest hinderers of the successes of your own labors. It much hindereth our work when other men are all the week longer contradicting to poor people in private that which they have been speaking to them from the word of God in public. In other words, you, because we cannot be at hand to expose their folly, but it, but it will much more hinder your work if you contradict yourselves, and if your actions give your tongue the lie, and if you build up an hour or two with your mouths, i.e. preaching, and all the week after, pull down with your hands. This is the way to make men think that the word of God is but an idle tell. Oh, Lord, help us. 
and to make preaching seem no better than prating. He that means as he speaks will surely do as he speaks. One proud, surly, lordly word, one needless contention, one covetous action may cut the the throat of many a sermon and blast the fruit of all that you have been doing. Tell me, brethren, in the fear of God, do you regard the success of your labors or do you not? So Paul says, elders in Ephesus, here's where it begins. Pay careful attention to yourself. Pray that your pastors will pay careful attention to yourself. Pray that your pastors and their wives, that their wives will come alongside of them to help them pay careful attention to themselves. Pray that as a pastoral team, we know each other enough to know when one of us aren't paying close enough attention to ourselves. Pray that God will give men in this church to us who will help us pay careful attention to ourselves. And so now he says, and, notice what the text says, pay careful attention to yourself and pay close attention to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. From the Old Testament to Jesus' teaching, that the imagery of a shepherd, and that's the idea of that word care there. In fact, I think some versions even say to shepherd the church of God. It's a powerful, powerful imagery in the Old Testament. Paul doesn't use it a lot, but in the Old Testament it was powerful and Jesus loved the imagery. Paul pulls that imagery out and he tells them, listen, you are shepherds. Care for the church. Pay attention, close attention to the flock. You're not CEOs. You're in the words of John Piper, you are not professionals. You you are not facilitators. You, You are not religious celebrities. A pastor is a shepherd in the fields, in the mud, in the difficult weather, in the dark of night. No praises. Nobody praises a shepherd in the Middle East. It's one of the lowest. It's one of the lowest vocations you can have. Nobody cares about the shepherd. A shepherd has one job, to watch over the sheep, to watch over the flock. One job. That's actually what that word overseer means in the Greek. To watch over. To look over. A good shepherd watches over the sheep. He takes care of them. He 
feeds them. He does not allow them to wander away. And if they do, he goes after them. He protects them from danger. A shepherd protects the sheep from predators. And you'll notice Paul has this one on his mind in particular. Because notice what he says in verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw them, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. You see what Paul says there? Listen, whether it's from outside the church or pay close attention to the flock and yourselves or it's from within. Did you catch that? Some men even within will rise up. The pastor protects the church, not just from the world out there, but even from those who are within the church at times. And I think, you know, I think what Paul says here is, is helpful. A pastor protects the flock from sinfully ambitious people who are out for their personal gain and glory. Their target is you. Their method, notice what Paul says in verse 29. Their method is twisting truth. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what happened in the garden. The serpent, Satan, didn't tell Eve to do anything. He just twisted the truth of God's words. And that's what he says. He says, listen, look at verse, uh, again, in, in verse 29. And, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. In other words, they will distort the gospel. They will introduce legalism or antinomianism. They'll say, oh, don't worry about obedience. You're saved by grace. Or they'll say, listen, if you want to be saved by grace, man, you need to get your act together. They will distort the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will preach false doctrine. They will promote worldly philosophies and values, and they'll do it with the Bible. <laughs> they will twist the truth to try and convince you that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. We need to love people, and we do. But it doesn't mean that every sinful craving and every sinful desire that I lay hold of is okay. Do you see that? Now, sometimes they, their twisting is obvious. Oftentimes, it's very subtle. But all the time, their agenda is not your good. It's not the church's testimony. It's not God's glory. Notice the end of verse 29, what he says. He says that they will, there will be men will arise speaking twisted things, and here's their goal, to draw away the disciples after them. In other words, their goal is to draw away 
people from Christ. They Think about this. They want to set themselves up as an idol in the church. That, that, that's what's happening here. They want to be an idol in your life. And so they will twist the truth for their own glory, for their own renown, to be right, to be seen as important, to be somebody. Every one of us, every one of you, must show yourselves as diligent studiers of God's word, lest you be tossed to and fro and be even more vulnerable to the wolves. But you know what? You know what, according to Paul, God has given you, God has given you for this very moment, pastors, to watch over your souls, to protect you. Not my design. And it's not a statement about me or Tim or Tom. It's God's design. Paul says to these pastors, and people are going to come in. You need to pay attention. You need to shepherd the sheep. You need to help them. There, there have been many times, thank God, not too many, but we've had to tell people, stop pushing that book in this church. That doesn't always go over well. <laughs> Trust me. There have been times where we've had to say, it's time for you to step out of community group until we talk about your understanding of sanctification. There have been times where we have had to sit down and say, I'm not sure what your agenda is, but let's talk about perhaps it's time for you to go find another church. Those times are hard. Those times are difficult, but that's what pastors do. That is something that pastors do. And in that, here's something that pastors must never forget. The church is God's church. That is so clear in verse 28. Not even the most committed pastor is more committed to the church than God himself. He loves his church. He is with his church. He is sanctifying his church. He is sending his son back for his church. The church belongs to God and notice the end of verse 28, it belongs to God at a great price, which he obtained with his own blood. Let that sink in. Yeah, you are covered in blood. <laughs> you belong to God in one way. He purchased you through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Those words pierce me every time I read them. God himself came down, entered the flow of fallen humanity. He came to us. He came to you. And his blood was poured out to make you his. When you were an enemy, to make you his. When you were running from him passionately to make you his. So when your pastors shed tears over you, and we do, I've been in meetings where it happens. It's because of this. We know he obtained you with his own blood. 
when your pastors carry a burden of concern for your life, and we do, it's because of these words. He obtained you with his own blood. When your pastors labor in the word and prayer for your sake, and we do, it's because of these words. He obtained you with his blood. When your pastors encourage you, and I hope we do, it's because of these words. He obtained you with his own blood. When your pastors correct you, and we do, and we will, hopefully humbly, graciously, it's because of these words. He obtained you with his own blood. You don't belong to us. You belong to him. The charge to care for you belongs to us. Through the power of his spirit, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, Paul says. In other words, the Holy Spirit has entrusted your church to your care. Richard Baxter, in this same book, The Reformed Pastor, he says, if Christ had but committed to my keeping one spoonful of his blood in a fragile glass, how curiously would I preserve it and how tender would I be of that glass? Every time we look upon our congregations, let us believingly remember that they are the purchase of Christ's blood and therefore should be regarded by us with the deepest interest and the most tender affection. I have have experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit this week through the words of Mr. Baxter. I am aware of how short I fall in this area. But praise be to God that like your sin, my sin was nailed to a cross. And so I can look out. Tim, Tom, look look behind you. Look at these precious people that we have the privilege and the responsibility to shepherd. They're not just people. They're not just friends. They've been bought with the blood of Jesus. How will you be informed by that truth? How will I be informed by that truth as we care for them? So let me just say this. If you're here this morning and you're searching for purpose, you're searching for meaning in your life, if you're looking for some sense of value and worth, if you are longing for validation and acceptance, here you go. (laughs) You're in the right place. The God of the universe obtained you with his own blood. Look no further.
I know that we all long for something new. But we don't need something new. You've heard this before. We need something true. And the truth is, more true than your feelings, more true than your experiences, is that you have been purchased with the blood of Christ. You are in union with Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.1, if you have been buried and raised with Christ, then look up. That means look away from your feelings. Look away from your experiences and identify with the one who says right here, I bought you with the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. And notice later on, Paul says that there is an inheritance waiting for us. Why can't I find it? It's there. Verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's speaking to pastors, but guess what? Doesn't matter if you're a pastor or not. If you're in Christ, you have an inheritance being kept for you in heaven. Tell your feelings, tell the rambling Satan that. So here's a question that I have for you. The charge here is for pastors. We are to watch our lives carefully. And we are to watch over your lives carefully. Here's the implication for you. If God has entrusted you to your pastors, are you allowing your pastors to pastor you? That's the implication. That's the implication. God's brought you to this church. And as you said, these are the pastors I want you to grow and thrive under. One of the hardest things is to allow yourself to be pastored. <laughs> Are you allowing your pastors to pastor you through trials and relational conflicts? Are you allowing your pastors to pastor you through big decisions? Are you allowing your pastors to pastor you through discerning worldly wisdom from biblical wisdom, through theological confusion? Don't. We heard it this morning. The, don't go the Christian life alone. <laughs> it's a holy caravan, and in that holy caravan, God has designed it that a means of grace in your life is your pastor's. Hebrews 13, 70 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Yes, that's how serious Paul's charge is. We will give an account for how we watch over your souls. Then he says this, Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Listen, here is a news flash from Hebrews 13, 17. You want to thrive in your walk with the Lord. You want to experience a serious advantage in your faith. Paul's words, not my, or I'm, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews' words, not my words. Then allow your pastors to be your pastors. You, you, want, to, you want to experience a disadvantage in your walk with the Lord? Then don't allow your pastors to pastor your souls. 
So here's how we're going to end. We're going to end the same way Paul did. In prayer. Notice verse 36. He says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. So right now, I'm going to ask Tom to come up. And we're going to do two things. We're going to pray for you as a church. And the implication of this amazing charge to pastors. And then we're going to have Scott McLeod come up and pray for us as pastors. Because I'm feeling it. I have full faith in the work of the Spirit in us. Nonetheless, I am eager to cry out, Lord, help us. Amen?